<laughs> yeah. All right, pig pen time. Here he is, Danny. You're gonna make me feel uncomfortable. I know you are. Why? Because this was we brought this was brought up the other day. Because these songs made me feel uncomfortable okay. because it put too much pressure. Well, then on. you have a week off to marinate on that because we're taking a little left turn. Oh, you pivoted. Yeah, we're pivoting on the pen. Ooh. Okay. Yep. And this is based on the idea that, look, in this uncertain time with the coronavirus, that we're all in it together and dealing with it. We're all finding times, mm-hmm. finding we're ways. We're with you here at the ticket. Right. And Lee Jeans. <laughs> with Lee Jeans. Lee Jeans stands beside uh, you. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, but we're all trying to find different ways to waste time. Things to occupy our times because there's no sports right now. Mm-hmm. And Mino and myself, I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes when you guys are talking and we can become a little distracted and sure. maybe often during breaks we'll pull up old audio and listen to it and giggle. And there's been a few cuts that sure. that have been going between he and I, the oh notable of this discussion. Is never good. No, these are it's fine. It's always good. This Mino. is really good. So these are I've just, lived the Mino life <laughs> long has, enough. I, I really don't think any of this has to do with either one of you. <laughs> but these are just pieces of audio, things that have happened on the station that we've been digging around in the, the system and playing for each other and giggling. And these are three that... For whatever reason, this week have we've just been cracking each other up talking about. So I figured we would bring them to the air for you guys. Nice. You guys are in there slaving away over hot sports opinions. True, I'm tired. Having follow well on for nine segments. I mean, that's exhausting. <laughs> Agree. Let's, let's have some fun. Right. I don't know if either one of you have ever heard this, but we're all familiar with the fine work of Cray Trey. Yes. Oh yeah. Did you know that Cray Trey not only is an overnight board op, sometimes he will do board op fill in work for the musers. He's been in here a couple of times, but he also has done tickers. I'm familiar. Yeah. But I don't know to what extent. Would top you, ten. Would you like to hear <laughs> what are you saying? When he, he fills in on the top ten. Yeah. Oh, okay, he okay, has okay. To do, I thought he was not, a top ten ticker guy or something. Yeah. He has to do tickers. And as skilled and adept at radio as Cray Trey is, the ticker is befuddling to him. Let's listen just how. The Mavericks had the lead and they lost it. Now they have it back again. Next on the Ticket Ticker. Be honest. <laughs> Pretty good tease. We're off to a good start. We really are. Wait, so you're telling me in a basketball game that you can score and then they can score and then you can score? And it's only 4-2, to two, Corby. <laughs> he kind of gave away the whole story, didn't yeah. he? he pretty well, much wait. We gotta oh, no. To, we got to get to one There's ten. a lot of meat to these stories in his full Ticket Ticker. Okay. Here we go. Ticket. Ticket Sports News Now. Feel free to stop when you want. The Dallas Mavericks were leading by um, by 12 points in the uh, second quarter. Now they're, their lead has dwindled down to 54-52 to 52 with three minutes left. Dirk Nowitzki is leading with points. He has 12 points in the game with four rebounds and three assists. Uh, D'Alembert has uh, leading... Uh, rebounds with 11 rebounds in the game. They have 20 rebounds in this game. Hang on! <laughs> Does anybody know what's going on in the Mavs game right now? Alexi might, but I, but other than that, I don't know. What? I, I don't know. Is he getting serviced right now? Like, what is what is going on? What? We're not sure. 
Oh. I'm going to say no. This is oh. the Sam Dallenbear era, though. It's good to hear <laughs> Dallenbear referenced. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, why is he so all over the place? I'm not sure. Let's continue. Four rebounds and three assists. Uh, Dallenbear has uh, leading uh, rebounds with 11 rebounds in the game. They have 20 rebounds in this game. <laughs> The NCAA tournament is. You know, going if you go right back now, just a little on, bit, hold on. <laughs> if you go back just a little bit, it does sound like it would sound if he had like a gun to his head. <laughs> That's what Milo said. <laughs> He's wearing the orange jumpsuit, and there's the ISIS guy with a sword like, to his neck. Like, do, do a ticker. Do the ticker right. But now. yeah, what's his chart? What's his not chart? What's his challenge? Like to to complete a ticker? Yes. Yeah. In yeah. any well, form? Well, I mean, I and perhaps his captors slid the script captors. right in front of him. Right, and he's reading and, it. Yeah, Yes, yes, he didn't. And, it's, he, and he's translating Arabic <laughs> to English on the fly. I think that's what's happening here. Okay. Uh, the NCAA tournament is going on right now. We got 11 seed Dayton facing 10 seed Stanford. Day- Dayton still has a uh, healthy lead over Stanford, 77 to 65, with 140 left in the second half. Six seed Baylor is uh, not doing too well. The second seed Wisconsin, they are losing 61 to 40 with 345 in the well, second wait, half. Wait, wait. What? Is Baylor playing Wisconsin? I think so, yes. They're losing 61 to 40. Can they're you, not doing well. Can you back that up, though? Does, does it was this... phrased really weird. I'm not sure they're playing each other. Six seed Baylor is uh, not doing too well. The second seed Wisconsin, they are losing 61 to 40. No, they're not playing each other. In the second half. Okay, wait. Baylor is not doing very well. Number two seed Wisconsin is losing. To so who? Baylor. No, no, no. They're losing to number two seed Wisconsin. No. I think so. Six seed Baylor is uh, not doing too well. The second seed Wisconsin, they are losing 61 to 40 with 345 in the second. Don't worry half. about it. Also, coming up tonight, we have number one Florida against number four UCLA. That's going to be at 845. And one seed Arizona against four seed San Diego State. That is at 917 if you want to do something tonight after the Mavs game, which post game show tonight with uh, Jake and Mark Follow after the game. So catch that. Also, the Stars followed the Chicago Blackhawks 4-2 last Monday. They're now three points behind Phoenix. Last Monday. Final playoff spot in the West. Stars face Nashville Nashville Friday and are nine points back from Phoenix. Puck drops at 7-30. Listen to all the action here on the ticket. This ticker is brought to you by TMS, sponsored... Surely, he, surely uh, he meant the game was Monday. There's no way he's giving a hockey score from ten days ago, right? You can't be sure of that. <laughs> I, I love that every time a story changes, it's like he's just waiting for it to finish printing. Right, Damn. right, right. Is it pause? Yeah, it rips it. <laughs> Ty, do you think this is a product of a poor script or no script? No I, script, right? I think this is because he was doing it during a game and he was trying. Yeah, and I think I I remember telling him or somebody when, when I said, "Hey man, you got live action. Don't be looking at the TV. Have the box score up there. Pick a score uh-huh. and roll with it. Right. Don't try don't to update don't try to be exactly correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it, Ty. Thank you. You're my leader. Thumbs up. Let's see how his sponsor read goes. Okay. This ticker is brought to you by TMS sponsored uh, TMS sponsorship of Race Week with Rich Phillips. NASCAR returns to Texas Motor Speedway with Duck Commander 500 in the spectacular premiere of Big Hoss, the world's largest HD TV. You've never seen NASCAR like this. Great seats are still available at TexasMotorSpeedway.com. That's the Ticket Ticker. The next one is at 8.50. I'm Trey Mitchell, reminding the P1s to be one. Tune us in, turn it up, keep it on. Sports Radio 1310 and 96.7 FM.
the ticket. And sticks the landing. Of another Wheels Off. I think, absolutely uh, right. stuck it. I think the sponsor, and even this might seem a little odd, but Duck Commander, and I think... He went Duckamander, <laughs> which is Duck which is part, which I think is part duck and part salamander, right? You just I think Danny's right. It's they it's had Duckamander. <laughs> that's what they call. Oh, that's yeah. what they call George in the hood. Yeah, 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 like the boss. Yo, 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 the commander in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Duckamander. Uh, Duckamander. Uh, let's see if we can squeeze these last two in. I play this one for no other reason than one little soundbite that I find myself walking around in life, saying to myself, being by myself in the parking garage, saying it out loud. Let's revisit Grego Lie Detector. Uh, Mr. Williams, would you mind stepping in my office? It's your turn to take the test, the polygraph test. Come on, why do we have to do this? It's so stupid. Everybody in the club is going to have to take the test, Mr. Williams. I'm tired of all your questions. This is not the Spanish Inquisition. I haven't asked you any questions yet. Hey, come on, I haven't done anything wrong. I've told you guys a million times. We'll Never determine that. Wrong. We'll determine that. Sure, I did the standard childhood stuff wrong. We're not interested Maybe in that. Maybe doctor with my cousins. That's not wrong, is it? Maybe I made I out know. with my uncle. Is that against the law? I don't know. So I stole my mama's doo-doo. It doesn't matter that much. <laughs> Is that <much>. it? <laughs> That's it. Right there. I swear to God, I will be walking by myself, and that will come into my head, and I'll like proudly start marching and go, Sure, I stole my mama's doo-doo. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> so I stole my mama's doo-doo. <laughs> well. Which begs the question. The way he says it, it's like a very common thing that anyone would do. Right. Sure. And sure. why would you steal something that we're all just more than willing to freely get rid of? Now, <laughs> I can. T- not only was I the horrible voice of the lie detector Don't underestimate guy. Yourself. Yeah, do not sell yourself short, Judge. I am the Bill Shakespeare of that bit as well. So you can thank me for I stole my mama's doo-doo. You stole... <laughs> Your mama's like she was saving it well, for an art project without her consent. Uh, you know, sure, I stole my mama's doo. <laughs> Who hasn't? So I stole my mama's doo doo. We don't need to hear the whole bit. Wow, oh, that's a good boy. one. But this is my favorite thing that Mino pointed this out to me, and I'd forgotten about this. But this was on the Musers one morning, and I think Gordon had found a story about President Trump on the Onion, handed it to George as if it were real, and it's George the read this, this the on the too. air. <laughs> yes, let me introduce <laughs> you best. to George Dunham and the Gorilla Channel. On his first night in the White House, President Trump complained that the TV in his bedroom was broken because it didn't because it didn't have the Gorilla Channel. Trump seemed to be under the impression that a TV channel existed that screened nothing but Gorilla-based content 24 hours a day. To appease Trump, White House staff compiled a number of Gorilla documentaries into a makeshift gorilla channel and they broadcasted into trump's bedroom from a hastily constructed transmission tower on the south lawn trump was unhappy with the channel that they had created moaning that it was boring (laughs) because the gorillas aren't fighting (laughs) so they 
So then they <laughs> they went in and edited all of the parts where they weren't fighting each other and made it a lot more action packed. <laughs> and there was a quote that said from an insider Some days <laughs> Did they all leave him? No. Listen. <laughs> Some days he'll watch the Gorilla Channel for 17 straight hours. <laughs> and get right up in front of the screen <laughs> and says encouraging things to the gorillas like, the way you hit that other gorilla was good. <laughs> okay. This is all made up. You guys right? want to tell him? <laughs> Oh. oh my god, dude. Oh my I've god. heard that fifty times I and I cry every time. Yeah. Did he did he think it was real? I, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know if he did, but he was reading it well, like it was well he was the concept of it. The concept of it is just <laughs> so priceless. He's <laughs> so good. Like just the frantic uh, Secret Service staff trying to rig a transmitter on the I, South, the South Lawn. lawn. <laughs> A tower. Pulling, yeah. <laughs> Pulling all and editing all these gorilla fights. and I'm trying to make them think it's a real channel. <laughs> the gorilla channel. <laughs> you hit that gorilla real good. Yeah, he's encouraging them through the TV yes, screen. Like here. 17 hours straight. You're Craig. Okay. Like that was the, right. the end of Craig right. there. Too yeah. Far. yeah. I don't he is not real talking nonsense. to that TV. <laughs> No way. I oh, believe man. you till this point. Whew. No further. That's beautiful. The ticket. On HBO, though, there is something that has got our attention, and it should get yours from a number of different standpoints. A historical one for sure, because it's some pretty big history here. It is called What's My Name? It is a two-parter that deals with the life and times of Muhammad Ali. I don't know what I was going to I, I don't know what to expect here because it seems like that Muhammad Ali the story's been told we all know about Muhammad Ali's tale and all that but the way this is done is brilliant and every time I see something on Muhammad Ali I learn something more and or different I I will say this too if you were wondering why there was such a big deal made about the Muhammad Ali funeral and ESPN went wall-to-wall for nine hours and the funeral lasted all day and it was such a big deal and every human being who had ever picked up a ball or that was an athlete reached out to say something and you don't really think you can't figure out what the big deal was dude watch this and it will it reaffirm my stance that I'm not sure that they'll Will ever be another human being like this, much less an athlete? And he really is the most impactful athlete that probably will ever walk the earth. The earth, not the United States, the earth. What I took out of this is this focuses largely on obviously the fights, but the fights in context of what he was fighting outside of the ring. Up until the uh, first Ali Frazier. Yeah, so this is part one. And the thing, real quick, the thing that I took out of this, because you mentioned that you always get something new out of an Ali doc, 
or any type of piece that's done on him. And I walked away, and this is part one. It's 90 minutes long, and I'm sure And part two is going to be after Ali Frazier won, Rumble in the Jungle, all that. Man, the thing I took away from this is, it, can you imagine a braver person no. that walked the face of this planet? And I, I know that, that there's probably people that are still alive right now that think of him as a dissenter, as 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 a as a treasonous, non-patriotic dissenter. Mm-hmm. But you know, I didn't. I obviously have never fought in a war. But man, that guy must have lived in absolute, total potential fear every day of his life. How hated he was! That's the thing, because when when I became of age in the mid seventies. I and just pulled no punches when no. it came to the way he dealt with his beliefs. Muhammad Ali was a beloved character. Like yep. I he was the first one of the first athletes, maybe the first athletes that I was aware of mm-hmm. because he was such he was uh, the just the, the presence, the figure itself, the name, all of it was in boxing at the time was larger than life. Um and and I I just knew people that liked him that that rooted for him, that cheered for him. I, you know, that's one of the things I took away. I didn't realize how hated he was in the 60s. You were there. Yeah, I was there. And but you were in the South. But number one, I was also very young. And number two, we didn't get just a whole ton of Muhammad Ali news or Cassius Clay news down here. Right. You knew the name and you, you know, you knew the broad strokes but you didn't know you didn't get too much of the detail and he was painted a certain way in the media back then and i learned a lot from watching that last night there's a lot of video on there that's been out there for a while that i've never seen Dude, before mm-hmm. this is a treasure trove of video yeah. and audio that i have not even because that's what's driving the doc this is there's no animation there's no narrator yeah it's plain and simple Footage, newsreel, Ali talking to reporters, a lot of Howard Cosell, and you can never, never go wrong with that. No. Yeah, the last 25 minutes, there's tons of Cosell. But man, it's it's driven, it's content driven. It's not artistic in any way. And it by is the way, content driven. Antoine Fuqua is the director, if we haven't already said that, and that's the guy that did Training Day, and, and he's brilliant, and this, this style is... Is per- it's perfect yeah. for, for what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Well, what he did here was take us through the very early days of Muhammad Ali. Now, this thing goes pretty fast, and he just kind of hits the highs. There's a lot of detail that I would love to know more about that I think gets glossed over. But as far as the stuff that they do hit on, I mean, you get it all. You get it from the time he was a young kid starting to make his way up through the world of boxing and God, some of that footage of him when he was little. I've never seen any of that me stuff. Either. Yeah. Fighting when he's 15, yeah. 16. And, and when he started to break into organized boxing, you get that. You also get how things were for him as just a, as a kid making his way up, you know, in social situations and things like that. That's the real, that's the first sign of Muhammad Ali as we know Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time was he goes to Rome to fight for. Uh, to fight in the Olympics and wins the gold medal for the U.S. and comes back and is like, I am the king, man. I am 20 years old or 19, however old he was. 
I am the I, I can do no wrong. And he says he went to back home to Louisville, Kentucky, and he goes downtown to a restaurant and he goes in there and he orders a big fat steak and everything else. And the waiter is like, you can't be in here. Yeah. And we it can't, we can't serve you. Made him realize right then that what his calling needed to be exactly. Yeah, that's what, a, this, that's what this is largely about. Yes, at a really really young age, he determined or realized that yeah, I'm a fighter, but if I can get to a certain level as a fighter, I think I can make a difference here. And man, how many kids during that time in the crucible of the civil rights move- movement? have the balls to take that stance none that's how many how about now now not many and you also get an idea of just what his personality was like because that's the thing that that really first drew people to him and and, and, and turned people off yeah to i him. mean that and i mean that in a very polarizing way right you know he was one of those guys that Either you were really drawn to him or you were just really turned off by him. But you couldn't look away no matter what side of the fence no, you were on. No, you couldn't look away. And the funny thing about it was, the thing that, the funny thing that I took away from it was, is that it was just kind of shtick that he started in with and nobody would, nobody ever told him, you know, not to or you can't do this or nobody ever gave him any kind of backlash or anything. He was started telling everybody. He started really just bragging is what it amounted to. And he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing because I know every single one of us grew up with some friend of a family member or in some cases a family member that when they saw the black man or the black young man showing any type of over-the-top personality, it was like, okay. And and, and you heard it. Uppity. You heard uppity. uh Showing out, showing yeah. off, think yes. they're think they're better than everybody else. Yep. And you heard that rhetoric growing up. Muhammad Ali knew how to push the hateful white man's button. Yeah. And went back to that well over and over. Another thing that I took out of this is depending on the situation of his, of the fight and his opponent, if you want to mouth off and tell him he's not patriotic for not going to Vietnam. You are going to be punished in the ring. Right. He is going to sandbag it for 14 rounds and then murder you. Yeah. Because he had he was that good before, obviously, the three-year, you know, when he... Had the to, fight ban. Yeah, the fight ban for three years. But prior to that, he would dictate the flow of the fight. And depending on how much he hated your guts and what you and how you talked about him up to the fight, depended on how you were going to die. I, All right, I, but let's go back to when he first emerged. When he first started with that, when he was first starting to break out in Louisville, I, I don't think he did know what he was doing. I think that he found out that by bragging on himself, he could get a lot of attention. Well, no, no, no. Remember, it was a lot of it was based on the fighter Gorgeous George, who he saw saying, <laughs> "Yeah." So this famous, you know, whatever wrestler. Yeah, right. was, he was a wrestler, Gorgeous and, George, and he would and he would say the same thing. He would go to these matches and be like, "I'm the greatest." Nobody can touch me. I am the greatest. Yes, yeah. he, and he saw. Yes, he saw Gorgeous George do that. But Gorgeous George could fill an arena, and at the time, Ali's purse was based on how many butts and seats he could put in there. And he realized yes. if he did this, the act of "I am the greatest." Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It would get him attention. It would draw people to his fights, and he got money for yeah, it. Yeah, and he got money for it. And you know, once he 
once he started to get a little backlash from Whitey and whomever, he knew he was going to have to stand up to that. Well, and he you didn't know, care he either because yeah, he couldn't back down. He was getting putting butts in seats because people hated him and they wanted him to lose. And he knew it was the perfect, and that's why the Howard Cosell thing was so perfect too. Cosell covering him because everybody hated you. You had a uh, Cosell was so polarizing, love or hate. I'd love to focus more on just that relationship. Ali polarizing, love or hate. You want to carry this over? I'd love to. All right. I'd love to really explore the whole Cosell relationship because, man, there, we noticed some things in that episode last night that I'd never seen before. And boy, could Cosell produce on the fly. All right, so more on the doc. What's my name? It's on HBO. It's the Antoine Fuqua look at Muhammad Ali. All right, so we're talking about the Ali documentary. Say my or what's my name? Not say my name. What's my name? What, tell everybody I'm why Mike. it's called What's My Name. Because people, fighters, hell, there were a lot of people, and I think you know that's kind of what was uh, funny about coming to America about one the barbershop scene when old Eddie Murphy was talking about the greatest fighters of all time, and uh, he started calling him Cassius Clay. And yeah, Mama named him Clay. I'm a, yes, Mama named him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. And people back then took that stance because they could not stand the fact that a black man mm-hmm. was converting to Islam. A weird, non-Christian religion. Right. And not only was doing that, it was being a very, very hardcore, active black Muslim. Hanging being, out with Malcolm X and MLK. Yes. Being uh, threatening about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. He's militant, man. Yeah, very much so. Peacefully militant. Very, yeah, absolutely he was. Um, but they couldn't take the fact that he changed his name, was part of that whole movement, was on top of the world in sports, and was that threat. And so they refused to call him Muhammad Ali. Again, for us... By the time I was five years old, I'm like, Muhammad Ali. I had to learn that his name was exactly. formerly Cassius Clay. I never, I guarantee you, like, your dad and his friends were like, uh-uh, that's Cassius Clay. They were not going to call him Muhammad Ali. Anyway, fighters, opponents, refused to call him Muhammad Ali. To get under his skin. Yes. And so, during these fights, he would be beating their ass and screaming, what's my name? What's my name? Yeah. And it's badass. It's, it really is you cool. You can hear it on a couple of uh, oh, couple yeah. of video clips. Yes. Like audibly over the crowd going, and, going to a, and the end he, of a round. And he would say that in yeah. these pre-fight interviews. He'd be like, you're going to be saying my name by the end of this fight. <laughs> you will call me by my name. And so that's the bit. And it's brilliant. What did you think of the the clip where the guy was calling him Clay? And they almost got into fisticuffs before, you know, the, the like sometimes you see at the weigh-in or whatever. It was mm-hmm. the pre-fight interview. Uh, Cosell's directing the whole thing. And these guys get up, and they're basically throwing punches about to go at each other. They get them separated, and Cosell says, did you get all that? Yeah. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. Well, they, he they knew what he had. Yeah, he goes, he's like, yeah. He said, you can stop now to the cameraman. And then they started squaring off again. Yeah. And he was like, keep rolling, keep going, you know. Yeah. You getting all this? Yeah. Oh. And do keep in mind that for much of this, Cosell, on the national stage anyway, had a pretty low profile. You know, yeah. people didn't start to know who he was until Monday Night Football rolled around. That's what brought him into the mainstream. But 
This is what lifted him into Monday Night Football. The, look, you, you take away from this so many different things, but there will never be a guy like this, celebrity-wise, who risks everything. Everything. Yeah, he was the ultimate groundbreaker, man. And, and again, this was going on at the height of civil rights, who just said, screw it, I don't care. I really don't care what happens the rest of my life. Yeah. I am here. Hey, if somebody would have taken him out, which could have very easily happened, have been fine with it. it is a miracle he I'm was never shot shocked because the people that that were falling around him and he was as high profile Oof. or higher profile uh, more, than any of them much I, and so. i'm even throwing bobby kennedy into that mix yeah absolutely the fact that he made it out alive and granted people absolutely feared him yeah they were terrified of everything he stood for and the fact that he could kick anybody's ass right uh, what i want to know and we're going to find this out is when did it all flip when did yeah? I can't wait to see. Part when did two he of this. become this beloved human being to the point of no one ever had anything bad to say about him? Well, he ended up, you know, they he ended up missing three years of his career due to the, the ban because he refused to go to Vietnam and was sentenced to prison and I guess five years in jail and they were you know appealed it and appealed it and appealed it and finally I don't think he ever actually did any time. No, but man, he lost a lot of Dude, a lot he of lost white his prime. fans. Yeah, he lost his prime. He lost. You heard him when he got back into the ring with Frazier. The booze, just just so many Maybe booze. Maybe old white people, old white America back then, they never got over it. They yeah. never got over the fact that he did not serve in Vietnam, that he stood his ground. Um, you know, he he believed in something, mm-hmm. that he had no business going over there and fighting. Yeah, He didn't want to fight these people. He didn't know who they were. They didn't know who he was. He didn't know why those people were going over there to fight. Look, he's right. The, the reason he was right about all that, we got rid of the draft. We got rid of the draft. We find out years later that that war should have ended 10 years before it yes. ever got to where it did. Yes. He was right. And you had these people, too. You had Joe Lewis. You had Jackie Robinson both being interviewed uh, you know, on television saying they can't believe that he's not going to serve his country because we did. Basically... There, questioning look, his patriotism. There's a huge difference between what was going on in World War II and what was going on in Vietnam. You didn't know it at the time. Some people did. Look, World there World War II, you'll never have this country rally together. 9/11. No, no, you Yeah, 9/11. Well, yeah, 9/11, but that it was wasn't even exactly bigger than war yeah. per se though. Right, it was even bigger then. And I think that the thing that really shifted the people's attitudes towards Ali happened about the same time that the national view of the Vietnam War started to change. Yeah. What did you think of Ali's viewpoint on on because he was, you know, criticized for uh, not serving his country, and we, Corby, I talked about this earlier. He was like, "I'm serving my country. I get paid a lot of money to fight these fights, and what the government takes in my taxes, I can buy a bomber. I can outfit twenty thousand troops with the taxes that I pay on these fights. So yeah, I'm serving my country. Tell me where I'm better served over there, getting my ass shot at, or over here funding this thing." He's right. He's right. There were so, those were radical views, man. There yeah, man. are so many times when he spoke or when he speaks, and He's very bright. Incredibly Super smart. bright, super thoughtful. No, he was the smartest guy in the room this was, and nobody knew it. This was never about, like, I'm talking for the sake of talking unless it was about fighting. Then it was a show. It was a game. But, man, outside of that ring and outside of doing the pre-fight interviews and all that, th- 
there has never been a more thoughtful, more no, active. No. Outside of the ring, whenever he talked, he wasn't front no. No, games. more socially conscious. No more of a man that would stand up for you know his own principles, the principles of of what he was fighting for than this guy, and there never will be. It's insane the amount of respect I have for that guy. You gotta look. We talk about and joke about. You gotta see this. You know, I'm not talking about like you gotta see Game of Thrones. No, you don't. You need to see this. Mm-hmm. This is important television. It really is. It's important this is a historical television. Wonderful historical document. That man, it just shines such a light on on the civil rights movement and what a huge player he was in that. And how every young black man, black woman, I don't anybody of color back then, that guy was up there as as your number one hero on the front lines, no doubt. He was the general. Well, we'll watch part two tonight, but uh, I can't wait. My buddy saw it last night and sent me a text, and he was like, you're going to freak out. Yeah. Watch them both and get caught up, and we'll talk about it with everybody tomorrow. The ticket. Hi, boys. Hey, Dan. How by the way, by the way, which, now, which one of you is Corby? That's me. Well, it's good to meet you. I'm Mike. I've, I've hey, known Mike. you for like 15 years. Right. Real quick, um, Sandy, we're going to... Danny. Danny, uh, we'll be interviewing the... Playboy Playmates here in about 15 minutes or so. Great, because we have some fantastic questions for him back here in the control room. Oh. Now, did that my. one just tell us she's a, a bunny? The thing we weren't oh. supposed to call him? Yeah. She, they're allowed to say it, but we're Oh, not. they are? Why can't so we they say, can it? say it? But we, we can't, huh? Yeah, I think so. We're going to find out a lot about these ladies here in a minute. So, Well, then let's get right to this. No need to waste any more of your valuable time. Thank you. All right, so we, especially specifically this show, are very into taking little things that often can be considered throwaway lines and blowing them up and turning them into something that is in eternal ticket vernacular. Right. Black man. White bitch. Like the whole thing about, do you like trying new restaurants? It's just something that we find just kind of funny. Do you we'll, like trying we'll new bury restaurants? We'll it in the ground. Do you like only the best food? <laughs> just something that makes us kind of giggle. Now when I hear that, I focus on the music in the background. I know, you, because you, you continue to find so many different elements of it that just gives it, I don't know, longevity. Well, one day, and this all also happens where you'll take a little catchphrase or a line and somebody will write a song about it. All of the Grego drops with the like the Beatles songs, different scenarios, random scenarios of Mike with like Simon and Garfunkel, and so forth and so on and, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So there was one time, I believe, that Groob's the Devil was rolling tape on Corby during a break. Now, he'll do this every once in a while. It's not something that happens all the time, but sometimes we get a little frisky back here in the control room, and we like to mess with you guys and record what you're doing off the air and then play it on the air, which you consider to be somewhat of a violation, correct? Right. So we all remember this wonderful... It's funny, bad things. We all remember this one song that Corby wrote off the air that we brought to the air. I like chicken and I like doo doo too. <laughs> a big hit up here at the ticket. Yeah. Yes. Well, a good friend of ours, Ticket P1, Kevin Minahan, took it upon himself to, to do what Corby wouldn't do. To do what Corby wouldn't do. And that is complete the song. To complete the epic song Chicken and Doo Doo. Yes, to take the little snippet and actually make something well, out of it. This guy's a songwriter. Yes. Now, well, what are you? He's legit. You wrote Norm. He's right. That's right. You wrote Norm. 
Again, he does this like for a living. You and wrote, stuff. "Can I please put my penis in you?" Oh my God! Really? <laughs> We're saying that on the radio these days, huh? I just had the to... title of a song. <laughs> yeah, it is, Mike. Hey, you wrote it, right? I did. You wrote the song about Cletus, Rich Phillips' son. Mm-hmm. So there's no Which reason, no reason why you couldn't have finished this wonderful premise called Chicken and Doo Doo. Well, I'm happy somebody took yes, it. But now I own publishing, so I'll make all the royalties off this. It's my idea, right? But fortunately for us, Kevin Minahan has this this alter ego. Hot Carl and the old number twos. And what he does, he turns it over to them and they finish these yes. things. So is this a full band production? Yes. Oh this is my Hot God. Carl and the old number twos. So without any further delay, let's hear the completed version in the year 2010 of our sweet, clean Lord Jesus. The maker of us all. Chicken and doo-doo. <laughs> I like chicken I like doo-doo too. I like chicken cause it tastes so yum It tastes so good Then it turns to doo-doo when it comes out of your bone <laughs> If you like chicken and doo-doo then I like you too You sound like my kind of girl, baby Now I know this sounds strange but I've liked them both since I was born just little baby, I like chicken and doo-doo. I'm not sure how it started, but probably happened the first time I saw that my doo-doo was filled with corn. Quite ironic. Hey! <laughs> I like chicken. I like doo-doo, too. I like chicken and doo-doo, too. Do you like poultry and stinky poopy, too? I like chicken and doo-doo, too. I like chicken cause it tastes so yummy It's so yummy Then it turns to doo-doo and comes out of your bum If you like chicken and doo-doo then I like you too I just can't get enough chicken and doo-doo, baby If you like chicken and doo-doo then I like you too That is awesome. That is ridiculous. Hot Carl and the old number twos. Now see, I, I, I'm so glad he did that. I wouldn't even have stood a chance against a masterpiece like that. It is awesome. Yes. That's great work, Kevin. That is great, great work. What's some of his previous work? Oh, things? The song? Um, he did the Fat Joe song. Right. Mm-hmm. He's done several He's done things. the Tom Grief song for Bad Radio. Right, there's that. Um, other so he's things? A, he's an occasional contributor. Oh, yeah, and they're all great, too. Yeah. Well, Love that is outstanding. Yeah. That is Hot Carl and the old number two's masterwork to date. The completion of Chicken and Doodoo. It finally happened. 